So we begin with, uh, with a conversation, Linda, Linda Gellin-Sutlin and, and Sasha. And I will introduce first Linda and then Sasha. So Linda is Professor of English at Morehouse College at Lanza and a world expert, obviously. And we are really thankful that she has come to London just for one day, just for today, to be with us here. Uh, really, that's, that's, that's tremendous. Thank you so much. We Thank are, you for We are really <laughs> lucky to have you. Thank you. Thank you. She's the author of, the, uh, of Audrey Beasley and Victorian Sexual Politics, published in 1990, and Beasley, Japanism and the Profession of Victorian Ideal, published in 1997. In 1998, she co-organized with Samuel Wilson an exhibition on Beasley in Tokyo which was absolutely uh, foundational and really changed the direction of Beasley studies. And Simon. And Simon Wilson. Um, more recently, she published the extraordinary Aubrey Beasley, a catalogue resume, and you have it here for your perusal, a catalogue that has brought Beasley work to the 21st century. The first book, this is the first book to, to bring together the recorded works of Aubrey Beasley. It includes nearly a th more than a thousand completed works of art, plus many related sketches, as well as more than 100 sketches in his letters and the books he owned. The catalogue includes over 50 illustrations that have never been previously published. Linda uh, text presents Beasley drawings with a full record of the making, provenance, exhibition history, and references in the art historical literature. The material, uh, the material is accompanied by often extensive discussions of the themes, motives, and symbolism. It is unprecedented in its scope and thoroughness, and, and really, it has moved Beasley studies into the 21st century. It is also my greatest pleasure to introduce to you our host today, Sasa Dosik. Um, she is a PhD candidate at Birkbeck College School of Arts, and a long-term Beasley enthusiast. She did her MA thesis as well on Beasley, one of the best MA theses I have ever read, I've got to, I've got to say. In her thesis, she explored Aubrey Beasley afterlife in Russia from 1899 to 1929. Her essay, In a Fitted Dress of Beasley uh, <laughs> Beasley Men in Russia, will be published in the collection Consuming the Victorian Body by Paul Grade in 2018, later this year. In July 2016, she organized a media conference entitled Forgotten Geographies in the Final Circle. They will be talking and conversing for about 40 minutes, and then we'll have about 20 minutes for questions. Exciting. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna. Um, as Anna has mentioned, the catalogue includes 1,100 drawings and uh, you, Linda, have spent 20 years, Five. 25 Five. years of life. The only correction I've ever made <laughs> anything you've done. No, I, I have deserved it. 25 years of life researching, collecting, photographing, putting them together. So uh, I would probably start by asking you, why have you chosen this particular structure? You have divided uh, this amazing corpus of works uh, according to individual uh, commissions, and in those commissions, various works are uh, sorted uh, according to the time of their execution. Has this particular structure been in your mind from the very beginning? Uh, yes. Um, let's see where I should start. When I took Simon and Robert Ruth 
Simon Wilson and Robert Booth's suggestion that the three of us should do a catalog resume, I had to find out what it was. So I went to the library and looked, and it was handleable, it seemed. They were thick texts, but they were handleable. Things didn't change hands for many years, decades in many cases. You always knew where they were. You could go look at them all the time. They weren't hiding. So I went to visit Jillian Malpass at Yale. We had talked for a long time about doing a book together. And I said, would you like this? And she said, yes, I would like this. And I said, well, I'm not right, ready to write anything because I have to do some research first, but I've been thinking about what it should be like, and I would like to have a mini discussion, a birthing time, to talk about whether it should be by chronology strictly or by work since he was a graphic artist and the books keep coming out, although, for example, the most author stands about four other texts and some of his style changes. And Jillian said, of course, by text. So that was taken care of. It was codified and great. Um, Morehouse, at which I teach, sent me to New York to have a semester at NYU, and I met Robert Rosenblum, the art critic, and he mentored me for a whole semester that I was there. And we just talked a lot, and it was wonderful. So I got other ideas together. Um, when I started working on the book, Miriam Stewart at Harvard must have realized how green I was, despite the other two books, because she sat me down. She's now the assistant curator, the associate curator. I'm sorry, Miriam. It was important to meet her. She sat me down and she said, this is what you do and this is how you do it, step by step. And since it was brand new and I was young, it stuck. I didn't even take notes. It was wonderful. And she corresponded with me, so I was on my way. And then it was just a matter of finding where they had been or are. Uh, one of them, I got a letter from the owners the last week before the book went into production. No way. It was that kind of hair-raising hair stuff. Um, which one was it, if you don't mind? I don't mind. My mind minds. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. At that point, I was so dizzy with what I was doing. My, um, Jillian Malpass was wonderful. She stayed in the background and was there for help. Emily Lees, the book designer, was kindly, I shall put, demanding. And it had to be in the next day. I had to get it back to her. And I'm too, oh, I don't know, interested in being finished, let's put it that way, with a project to draw it out. So I was pretty much on time, but I kept getting letters, emails from Emily saying, come on, let's go. We've got to get this done. So I did it. Um, did I stray off the question? No, you pretty much answered it. So okay. you had helpful people. I had helpful people. Um, but, the, but the structure seemed to work because I couldn't really see 
going drawing by drawing, two Lamorts, three Bonmots, mm -hmm. five Lamorts, and nine Salome. I, it just didn't work at all. And you could have all the drawings together, book by book. It is and amazing. each book. That, for me, was the most ecstatically wonderful thing. Now, when I want to go look at something, I lift this seven and a half pound half twin off the shelf. We'll talk about that. Okay. Seven and a half pounds, yes, okay. that's very important. Um, but but the, really, the most important thing to me is that they're in one place. Everything mm -hmm. is in one place that, that so far has come to life. I agree. And uh, personally, I find it very useful to have, as you say, all the, how many, 350 drawings for? 58. Uh, for Le Monde. More, 50, yeah. 358. Amazing. You have them in one section, mm -hmm. and in that section they are sorted chronologically, so you well, can see we don't know more or less, more I mean, or less. But more you can less. trace the changes in mm -hmm. the style, how he simplifies his style, and how he introduces more and more naughty details. When you have them in the book, they are mixed, and you get the innocent first drawings when he tried to please his publisher. Yes together with the very naughty drawings at the same page, we have the pleasure of following the change in the catalogue, which I think is amazing. It is. It is. It's to have them all together and to have gotten permission to reproduce them, but some people didn't want them reproduced. Mm. Um, Could you, would you like to talk more about that? For a sentence or two, uh, without getting, without <laughs> getting vile. Let's uh, get it out. People really wanted to be paid, to have their, their drawing recorded. Um, I said things like, um, well, if it got stolen, God forbid, you would have some recourse because it would be listed mm -hmm. and you would know what you're looking for just in case you didn't have a digital image. Yes. Well, on and on with, with I don't want to do that. Um, in, I think, two cases, I used a published drawing. It was not very... Not like... Yeah, not like this. Mm -hmm. Not very detailed, so it was okay to do. But for the most part, I paid their exorbitant fees. Yale said, that's your deal, dear. And so I was paying the fees for these. I think... Um, that was an interesting figure. I stopped counting at about $15,400. This and is it amazing. kept going on. Yeah, they, that's the way museums make their money, Simon kept telling me. So something new. I just shut up and pay. <laughs> something new. Um, that's a new information for me. Okay, um, I'll make sure I never do catalog resume my That's life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did you envision this work would change Bursley scholarship in the future? Beyond feeling that, that all the books would be accessible at the same time, I really didn't. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do this, I did it, and I think that was the doing of it and having it. Mm -hmm. was what I wanted. And we are grateful for that. Um, Me too. <laughs> uh, apart from uh, the well-known drawings and commissions, you have also made some discoveries and there are some drawings which have never before been reproduced. 
would you like to talk? I, I have put some here. For example, these are from Gracely's scrapbook. Um, this, this, was a, this is at Princeton. Yes. So you can go see these. And but they're amazing. They're, they're about this big. Mm -hmm. And they're all this beautiful detail. Mm -hmm. What? Um, I was just wondering how you researched them. These were in Princeton, uh, but they have not been reproduced before. So this is your doing again. Um, I got on the good side of a very nasty man. <laughs> who has under his thumb all of the drawings. He's a medieval manuscript man and somehow has become head of Princeton's graphic wow. department, or the, the rare the Princeton drawings in their graphic department. And I just kept smiling. And <laughs> my reward was not only that I got to do the Beardsleys, but he bought the Mallarmé poem with the Beardsley drawings, and he slammed me with a paper. You have to do this. So that was my reward. Amazing. It was fun. It's all been fun. It really has. I met all kinds of people. You can see how shy I am. I worked <laughs> half the room, not completely. I'll get to all of you. Um, I really love people, which is why I love teaching. And. I was doing it. Writing it was something else. Somebody told me that it was written so beautifully. And I said, please don't tell Simon Wilson that. She thinks it's written poorly because I'm an American and I have no style. Simon should have no editor. I'm sorry. Um, just to slide off this embarrassing topic of Simon's not involving in the editorship of the two volumes. Could you talk a bit about your favorite drawings? I wanted you to talk about the drawings which changed your view of Beardsley and your perspective on Beardsley forever. Do you mention these two, uh, the booklet of the artist? And yeah, but uh, I, f I remember spring. which one I really love. So <laughs> I will talk about these first, real quickly. Okay? Did I get Please. <laughs> okay. Um, this is, as far as I'm concerned, Beardsley making fun of heavy Victorian matrons who wear their husband's wealth on their bodies. And he's just bearing the bodies. Uh, I don't agree with him about proportions, but that's okay. What was wonderful about this drawing was the revelation after sitting and looking for, I don't know, 20 hours or so, that this is a phallus. He's holding up a, sh a tray of books, but the whole shape in the outline is a phallus. And she's very delicately plucky. I thought that was fun. Gets back to this fun in Lysistrata, right? Yeah, more baldly. <laughs> This one I love because you have this, this was done when he was recovering from his first serious hemorrhage, uh, not as a child, but as a young adult. And he had been in bed, he had just gone to work for the, oh God. Guardian. The Guardian, thank you. And he promptly turned up hemorrhaging. 
So it was six months before he was able to draw at all. And fragile youth, withered spring, the pun is obvious. But then I started looking at it and, excuse me, uh, there are these withered branches that may or may not be flowering. They may be just willow leaves that didn't fall off the trees. And this young tree has a branch that goes across. And as I was looking at it, I realized that it's got three windows. And where the branch comes across, it spells in. So I thought, what the heck is happening here? Here he is sitting at a gate. It's latched. There's a river. The boat is on the other side. Maybe this is land and that's a still river. I'm still not sure. It could be a promontory in the middle. It serves his purposes very well. This figure is outside, possibly double barred from getting in. But should he manage to cross, that's where the art is and the castle is in. Many drawings have these little <coughs> tiny puns, just frivolities. They're wonderful. Have you thought of including a magnifying glass for all of us? I will do that. Uh, the Simonite wanted to do an exhibition with a magnifying glass and never got to. Maybe it will happen in 19, oh, 2020. Tate Brisson is planning a big Beardsley exhibition in 2020, spring of 2020. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I reckon, Linda and I sent them a, 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 a very detailed proposal for an exhibition back in 2003, in which we included the suggestion that magnifying glasses should be given out with every ticket, and then they just throw them in a box at the end. Anyway. Um, we it's were on, what? I'm not done. I had this other one. Um, we were on our way to Japan to set up a Beardsley exhibition. And um, I'll stop with that. It was going to be a, just an absolute ball. And Simon handed me a letter. Or was it Stephen Stewart Smith? The firm that had said, would you do this exhibition? And we w I went anyway. Simon doesn't like to travel for a long time. I went, yes, when? Uh, it was the Japanese. <laughs> yes, the Japanese. Show. Yeah. Um, there was a letter from a lady in Norwich who wrote to say that she had just come home from a long trip and she was about to throw out all her garbage and that included newspapers. So she was looking through the newspapers as one does and she discovered an article on, I don't know, I think a book uh, by Bevis Hillier. And I knew Bevis, I knew his parents, who were very kind to me. And, sorry, I, and she said that she had read Bevis's article and she had 10 drawings that Beardsley had given to her, I think it was her uncle, and they had come down to her by descent. And if I wanted to look at them, fine. So I didn't know anything about Norwich, and I said, okay, so what do we do, Simon? He says, we all go. So Simon and his wife, Sandra, and I 
drove up to Norwich, met the lady, looked at the drawings, and there was a drawing of Beardsley fencing. And this is important because Beardsley has his first tubercular hemorrhage at the age of seven. And he's always, after that, being watched by his father and tends to be somewhat fragile. He doesn't, for example, join a school trip that's going to entail walking seven miles, three and a half miles to and three and a half miles back. So I thought, maybe this isn't right. I've got to do some research. It involved the school of fencing called Angelo's. Everybody in London went to Angelo's to fence. And apparently, Beardsley fenced at Angelo's at least once, because I cannot remember in what book I read it, but in either an archive or uh, something from Angelo's, there is a description of Beardsley fencing. So I was gratified to know that this wasn't fancy completely. I mean, he may have just stood there, he may not have had the strength to fence, actually. And that's been my favorite because it reinforces my suspicion about creation. It's, it's got to start in fact, but it's the creation, the creativity that changes it, that mutates it, and allows it to emerge so beautifully. I know it's elementary, but I'm not an art historian, sorry. It's beautiful. Uh, shame we do not have the drawing here, but it's we okay. have it's the display copies. Yeah, it's, it's, there. it's in there. It's yeah. there. It's Perfect. In there. So we can all consult the fencing fiercely later. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the reproductions and the originals. Um, there is a lot of debate about how important the original in Beardsley's case is, and some scholars even claim that Beardsley's drawings look more effective when they are reproduced because he did it especially for the photomechanical reproduction using the cheapest method of his time, and they look more starking when uh, they are put through this method. Uh, where do you stand in this debate? Are you on the side of the originals? I want both. <laughs> And I want both because the drawings show us the way he worked. He really did use blots of ink on many drawings. So they are somewhat thin in areas in which he was rushing, perhaps to get a stack of drawings in by the next day. And the publication of those drawings is somewhat artificial. I'm not sure that one could get the black as velvety as they reproduce. So I'm really grateful to have both. Could you probably tell the story about Beardsley blotting the paper with black ink, if people not all know that? He says, somebody asked him, I, how do you work? What is your method? And at first, he scribbles lines, and then he decides what he's going to do, what the picture is going to be, how it's going to look, and he inks over the pencil. And in his earlier drawings, pretty much erases 
all of that pencil marking, leaving the ink. I thought we would not talk about the Beersley in the 20th century, but now it will be inevitable, right? Wait, well, let me, let me just say one I'm more sorry. thing. The yes. blots don't turn out evenly because he needs to get certain areas of white left alone. And so you might have, let me use this. This is a good reproduction, but pretend for the moment that it's a blot of ink. Mm -hmm. He would have probably a blot of ink here, and then with a pen and maybe a brush, move it around. And he would do that until the area of black was covered. Um, it, it seems to me, looking at this one with a magnifying glass, I really tried to steal it from Harvard. They weren't having it. Show you the techniques. The white was left in reserve. It's not ink. It's amazing. If every pinpoint you see there is a, a bit of light through the tree, through the branches. And if you leave it up and you come and look at it later, you'll see it's amazing. It must have taken hours to do. Whereas the figures probably went, finished. Um, this one, unfortunately, I think the tuft of hair is removed. Is removed partially, not completely. So he wasn't really being body. He was even. He was being realistic. <laughs> Just the Romans didn't like that. This particular kind of realism. Yes, his his realism. I like the story of Piersley drawing from life, sitting in a cafe and telling the journalist, "This is how I see people." Right. Yes. Um, On the other hand, he saw a. This was toward the end of Dowson's life, Ernest Dowson, uh, the poet. He was sitting with him and having dinner. And a, a weasened old lady walked in with a purse. And she went over to a table and sat down. And Beersley, it, it, the Savoy had just ceased. Hmm. So it's late 1896 or in 1897. And he says, that woman, if only the Savoy was still going. Of course, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Um. Before, Linda is also working on a second Beardsley project, which is also massive. She is preparing uh, the new edition of Beardsley's letters. But just before we start talking about that, could you probably tell us a bit about Beardsley's relation to literature and how Beardsley, the artist, differs from Beardsley, the writer? I don't think he could make up his mind for a long time about whether he wanted to be a writer or an artist. And so he did both. And there is a family album, again at Princeton, unfortunately, so far away for you. Um, and there are copies in there that may have been made by his sister, his mother, uh, family members who are older, not certain. 
And I'm not certain that any of them are really his, except where the writing, like there's a drawing of Carmen, mm. and he puts her name on the drawing, and it's clearly Beardsley's style of writing at that point. Uh, I think he's finding his way slowly but surely, and his mother kept, I suspect, what she could. My, you're not asking me this question, but I'm going to say it anyway. My largest sadness over working on Beardsley is that I could not find day books, mm -hmm. diaries. They just don't exist. And I, I finally have come to the conclusion that they moved so much because he was so sick and he was searching eternally for a climate that would give him a better couple of months. That they must have unloaded stuff. At, toward the end of his life, they sent to his last publisher, Leonard Smithers, a box of books, which must have been enormous because his library was enormous. I've not found all the books yet, but I found some. And his sister writes a letter to Leonard Smithers, who was a wonderful publisher, who loved Beardsley very dearly as a, probably as a son, but who had a wife, a mistress with whom he traveled, and he was addicted to chloral, alcohol, and any other drugs he apparently could get his hands on. He lived at, um, I've only been here a couple of hours, tell me, Simon. No, 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 no. Where Yale is, what is the square? Bedford Square. Bedford Square. He lived in one of those magnificent mansions in Bedford Square. When he died and they came to take his body, it was bare, not a stick of furniture. So I suspect everything went into drugs toward the end of his life. And he got his wife hooked. Nobody ever talks about her, but she too was hooked on drugs. And so she went into a rest home afterwards and died shortly thereafter. Did she have any role in shaping Beardsley's career? I don't think so. I think women were treated like appendages. I mean, to travel with a mistress and a wife? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would travel with a gigolo. <laughs> OK, let's go. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, letters. So. Uh, Okay. Is there any letter which is missing oh from God. your research and which you would definitely like to be there? Can you invent She's one? She's cut out three questions. So real quickly, I'm going to tell you that without understanding why, every time I went to an archive, I saw Beardsley letters and I copied them. I got Xeroxes. And I am the person who gets online and serendipity turns up yet another letter. I've collected copies of 119 letters. And it, he was not Oscar Wilde, believe me. He wasn't interested in talking, he tells his sister Mabel, not interested in talking about my work. I'm interested in doing it. Mm -hmm. So the letters, I think, are important for another reason. They chart 
the way he's treated, they chart what he's doing when, and we see his health deteriorating. Um, a lot of them to Smithers, his last publisher, are uh, in a collection at the University of Texas in Austin. And when I finished working on those, <coughs> one of the women that worked there, with whom I was friendly, said to me, I don't understand why the tears are running down your face. You're reading the letters. I said, that's why the tears are running down my face. They were so poignant. Uh, I'm working on an edition. We are Slowly. looking forward to that. Thank you. Uh, so how many new letters are there? 119. Fantastic. I, uh, I had no idea what I was doing at that point. I just, you know, I thought it was going to give me a little bit more about a drawing or maybe a book he was working on. So I would just copy mm -hmm. them and take them home. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And like these letters, these new letters, mm -hmm. are they completely changing our view of Beardsley? I haven't decided. I mean, I really haven't looked at them in that light. I'm trying to figure out when they were written. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't have dates. Of course, very helpful. So I'm warning you now. <laughs> Uh, are they only heartbreaking or just the usual professional drudgery? Which Some of it is usual professional drudgery, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but he doesn't look at it as drudgery, the beginning of his life. The beginning of his life, he's doing what he loves doing. And I think had he not been so sick, he would have stayed ecstatic about what he was doing. You probably love those early letters to Scott and Clark, where he just is bursting with energy. And they're working out theory together. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most striking things that he writes, at least for me, is a, uh, an essay about why we need posters and what they do. It's quite wonderful in terms of theory read it. It's available. I think I, I think I got it into that. So if you have a friendly neighborhood library, you, you can read it. It's short. The Art of Hoarding. The Art of the Hoarding. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or email me and I'll send you a copy. Linda.zaplin at gmail.com. Okay. Surely. Uh, do you want to tell us about the fictional letter? Ah, the fictional letter. I want a letter that really tells me more than I just have to draw. You, f you feel that all the way through mm -hmm. his letters. He has to draw. It is something that he was made to do. Not made in the sense of anything but born. Mm -hmm. And that is where his energy and his love are focused. And as he flags and talks about the fact that he could not hold a drawing board or get out of bed or he was forbidden to draw. I want a letter that says, we found the cure. No more TV. We've got years. <laughs> that would be ecstatic. Um, yeah. There is something I forgot to ask you, but okay. I really need to. Um, 
Bergbeck is very much involved in uh, digital humanities and online scholarship. You're so going to do it for me? <laughs> with pleasure. Uh, are you going to digitize the catalogue resume? Uh, Jillian said someday, um, Emily Lees, the book designer, is now working at the Mellon Center and I'm hoping that she will get this out online. But I have no assurance, nothing. And I would like a place in which I can keep the drawings easily. And online is certainly easier than destroying the book cover, the jacket, not the jacket, the box, mm -hmm. with fat little pieces of extra paper shoved in. This got sold on this date. Mm -hmm. So. It would also help with the price and with the weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some students come to me and say, I'm going to buy it. And I say, Why would you buy it? You don't even know anything about the 19th century. It's a nice investment. Um, thank you so much, Linda. You're welcome. And I think we can now open the floor to the questions from the audience. Oh, somebody kick it off. This is such the awkward <laughs> I'll take my. <laughs> Go ahead. So I'm just curious about the letters, really, because I'm quite excited to hear your work on the new one. Because when I, so obviously I've, well, I've read the uh, Flowers, Mass, and Duncan edition. Yeah. I've got a second-hand one, and obviously it's nice to have the letters, but they're obviously, they treat them just as terrible. God, I forgot. Thank you for asking. All the dirt <laughs> is in my head, not in those footnotes. <laughs> so that's a major part of them. But mm. that has to happen as I, I haven't footnoted letters that have any dirt yet. So, so I think they help you understand that Beardsley was a man who lusted for life, that he really wasn't resigned, that he worked as much as he could, and he put his being into drawing. He wasn't going to let it conquer him no matter how sad I feel when I read them, because I know what's going to happen. He always has hope. And it's only, I believe, 25 years until the TB vaccine is discovered. It's heartbreaking. I think it was discovered during his time. No. I don't think so. Tell 1878. But it wasn't available? It wasn't available. That's it. Sorry. Yes. I give. 
Superior research. <laughs> it took me three years to find a physician who was treating TB patients. I needed to know it for a paper. And what I needed to know was this introduction that Brian Reed does in his 1967 book has got Beardsley all super sexy because he's doing sex in the head because he has TB. Well, the physician said to me, it's a bunch of garbage because when a TB patient is not hemorrhaging and has recovered from a hemorrhage, he's fine. He can do anything any of us do. It's during the hemorrhage time that he is so ill. And I bet it has nothing to do with his fantasy. No. no. I don't think so. There was a question. Yeah. Yes, thank, thank you. Well, thank you so much for this, for the wonderful work you've done. Thank you for coming here to talk to us about it. Uh, and and it's, it's, I'm so excited about these letters. Um, I, 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 I wanted to say a couple of things. One of them um, about the TB. There's a difference between the isolation of the tubercle of the killers and the development of any kind of a treatment for it, which would actually kill that bacillus. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the difference that's between the dates. Mm -hmm. um, well, it blows me away that they didn't isolate him. And that was the fashion. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think we need to go into science. I'm just think, saying that's, it's the difference between actually getting the, 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 the bug uh, and into finding it. something which could be, which would treat it. Mm. There's the, the difference between the two. But, okay. um, but that, that wasn't the point, it just <laughs> occurred to me. I was interested in um, Smithers near the end of his life is, as you said, very poor and drug addicted. Um, and he was notorious for faking documents from um, people that he, he had worked with. Smithers, so, you said. Yeah, Smithers, yes. yeah, Nelson and, and I'm trying to, I missed the Smithers and I'm thinking, here's what you have a forged So Smithers was in the to Toys Borgia, and you also mentioned, um, at, at the end of his life he was, you also mentioned how uh, the Beardsley Vogue uh, came into fashion. Uh, and, and so everyone wanted a Beardsley. Which makes me think, when you're on the track of Beardsley's, did you find any fakes? Because we're at the stage now where <laughs> something which was faked by Smithers is an artifact in itself and, and of some value because of its uh, uh, because of uh, 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 Smithers' own, own background and, and his, his uh, involvement in the lives of these people. Yes, in a word, lots of fakes. Um, I had a query, oh gosh, about a drawing that is in the catalog resume, baldly there, and these people were trying to sell it. And so I sent them the number and said, sorry, it's already in a, an archive and you can't buy it and it's not for sale. You mean and in I the fake section? It and no, no, in the real section. Oh. Um, there are all kinds of fakes. There are fakes that, particularly in Germany, have nothing to do with the drawings. They're just, um, for example, a woman with a bell skirt, her dress starts here, and it's cut to look like an apple with seeds right here. That's supposedly a beard slip. Um, some of them are copies. 
the rest of the world pretty much does copies. Then the section mentioned, there's an entire section, there's an appendix of the catalog which sets all this out and the, the various categories of, of fake, of outright, uh, well, pastiches, copies, and so forth. It's all in the catalogue. But they do, they turn up all the time. I mean, then the, uh, uh, at least once, twice a year, you get oh, no, Sotheby's or one of the sale rooms sending us stuff. You know? One of the big sale rooms. Other, but people contact me yeah. and want to know if this is real. And I got so many that a friend of mine who is a physician said, what you need to do is charge. <laughs> so we came up with a charge, and I would say about two-thirds of them disappear the minute I say what I charge. <coughs> Fine. <laughs> so. Saves your time for the letters. Yeah. Good. More questions? Anybody Wait. else? Yes. Yes. So, Linda, you said that when you started doing this, you you didn't know anything about the form of the catalogue resume. So after sort of more than two decades writing the catalogue resume, what do you feel about this as an art historical form? And where do you see it going in the future? Because you mentioned it's going online. So do you think this is the future of the catalogue resume? I would hope so. Dante Gabriel Rossetti has an exquisite one online. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. Mm. <laughs> and in the past two years, I've managed to help fire a president at Morehouse College and hire the new one. So I'm feeling pretty cheeky. <laughs> I really think it needs to go online, and I'm hoping that the Mellon people think so too. Yeah. Would that mean it could be updated as new? Yes, exactly. And then I wouldn't have emails from Simon saying, do you have this? No, I don't. <laughs> this one was sold, oh my god. But they, it needs to be kept up before it really gets out of hand. Is that something you see as being open access? I'm sorry? Is that something you would envisage being open access? Open, free, after? Free. Open access, free, oh, available. Yes, absolutely. Some place like Yale can afford it. They fired Jillian Malpass. She was making too much money at her. <laughs> then I add something to something? I think there was an underlying question in what you asked, unless I misunderstood, about the purpose of catalogue, catalogues raisonne. Yes. But it, what I would like to say is what I said to Yale University Press all along about Linda's catalogue is, and, and you know, Yale has done a great job until now, and then. The management, the management have decided that it's not too valuable. I think that, that in producing catalogues on this of great British artists, and these, that all I want to say is this, which is these are the building blocks of art history. Absolutely. These are the facts, yeah, <laughs> the works on which all your art historians, you know, can then weave your magic over, you know, and interpret and give us new readings and all the rest of it. So that's all I wanted to add. Thank you. Mm -hmm. There was a question at the back, Emma. Emma. Um, firstly, thank you for your wonderful conversation, but also for the gift of the, the catalogue, which we're all enjoying. Good. 
I was thinking also about your question about the purpose of a catalogue reasonably, in some ways it's equivalent to the idea of a scholarly edition in this way. You get a kind of established base <coughs> which you then annotate exhaustively. Um, but having spent the last 10 years working on a still unfinished scholarly edition, um, which we were told very firmly will not interpret, we were just to annotate, it struck me very much that one of the great pleasures of the catalogue is that it does interpret as well as providing a wealth of factual material. So it's partly just a thank you for, for that aspect of the catalogue, but also I wondered how that would compare to the letters. Um, are you going to be given quite a sort of a long reign in terms of being able to uh, <laughs> interpret or comment on your annotations? Let me put it to you this way. I've, I have almost completed about 15 letters. It took me all of last summer. Um, the Mellon wants them in two to three years, they said last summer. And I said, of course, absolutely. Don't say anything else, right? Um, I'm going to get them out as fast as I can. And there will be gobs of material explaining. Uh, people are dead now. They don't have to, editors, don't have to worry about feelings. They don't have to worry about, in this day and age, suits that uh, contest what you've said about my mother. Uh, so I think it's high time that we got the real dirt. <laughs> Precious little really What's there is there. I'm looking forward to that. More questions? Could I ask a question about taking the floor? Uh, um, about copyright and how about copyright in the context of illustrations, but now in the copyright in the context of the letters. How, how, how are you managing that? And, and what's, what's the copyright status of your own work in the context of that? Has it been very difficult to sort out? Simon Wilson was the first one to educate me. They are public domain. You may have to pay a user fee to an archive or a museum or a library, but that's it. When it comes to letters, um, I suddenly got aware of this in a perfect place, University of, of Texas at Austin, and they have the copyright place in the state that gives you the information and tells you how to go about ascertaining whether you need copyright or something is in copyright. Beardsley died in 1898, so I don't have to worry about copyright on anything that he wrote because his father died in 1909, his sister died in 1916, and his mother died in 1932. That's it, that's the end of that line. Matthew Sturgis had some conversation with one of the sister's children who lived or lived in Tanzania. This is when he was doing the biography. He's, is he here? Not yet. No, he's not here. Yet. Okay. I'll speak for him. Guy said, very interesting. And what you've discovered is very interesting. But who may I ask? is Aubrey Beardsley. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. <laughs> um, 
apparently even the footnotes in the 1970 edition, if they are factual, and I want to put the date the same way or quote something that they have, or say something that they have already written, as long as it's factual, I'm fine. When it comes to other material, I've got more than they have. So I'm not really worried. That's a good position to be. This whole business of copyright and the fact that Linda had to pay the institutions that own Beardsley drawings for images. You, most of you will probably know there's a lot of discussion about in museums charging for images <coughs> at the moment going on. But the point I was going to make is that Linda, very presciently, and against the advice of somebody who ought to have known better, insisted on very, very, very high resolution TIFF files. And they, that means, and this brings us back to this whole issue of the original drawings versus the line block reproductions and what they were. But, um, so Linda has this huge stash, which she owns because she paid for. But, but, but I would have to pay each time I use no. the drawing. Surely not. Each contract, every archive has said that. One time use. But I think those contracts are unenforceable. Well, that I don't know. You would I'm know sure that. they're unenforceable. Well, uh, you'd need a lawyer. But, but <laughs> you, do, you, do, you do have these superb, massive TIFF files. You can see every line. <laughs> That's your magnifying glass. Fantastic. It's better than a magnifying glass. It's amazing. And that's one of the major reasons I'd like to see this online. Because then you would really see. Can I just extend yeah, the question? Yeah, yeah. So, are you thinking of putting together um, kind of your very own collection of Beasley material? to allow scholars to use it? Are you thinking of that possibility I in the future? Like it, I would like it to go somewhere in the Midwest if it's going to be in America. Um, my whole stash. I have a six foot by 12 foot closet in which all my notes lie ready. Um, and I have the drawings, yeah. I would definitely like to see it go somewhere. Yeah, it would be really fantastic because... Um, I thought she was going to give me an offer. Well, I, please come to Belpec. We'll be more happy to hold your collection. Uh, but I'm sure there are other bidders uh, that will have more, um, that will be closer to your heart, probably. But I think that, that will be quite, quite a phenomenal task to do, to push forward yeah. uh, Beasley studies, yeah. so that we not just have was available in the catalogue, but the, the kind of the research that you did that couldn't go into the catalogue. I think that would be tremendously useful for the future. Absolutely, I think it should go somewhere. We'll see. I'm not ready to give it up yet because I am working with it. Of course. So. Of course. Do we have more questions? Yeah. I think people are ready. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you.